Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, you're to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Let me pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would speak, that you would meet us here, that this would be a consecrated moment where you show up. Oh, God, not my words, but yours. Anything you would have me say, would you bring it to mind? Uh, Father, we pray and uh, we love you. We're thankful for your spirit in this place. And we hand this day to you in your name and pray. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we're in our Glory to Glory series, and I'm teaching today from a message that I've entitled, Consecration, Make It Sacred. I want to talk to you about consecration because it's been on my heart for a while, and I've been trying to process through what it looks like, how how it plays out in real life, because it seems like it's kind of an old word, and sometimes it seems like a very Old Testament kind of thing, and we think about, oh, we've got, we've got Jesus, we have like full-time access to God at all moments, and so what ends up happening is we stop making sacred moments because we think that all the moments are sacred. And so today what I want to talk to you about is how to find the sacred places, times, um, events and stuff in your life and our role in making it sacred. And I love this because um, in this passage that we started off right here in Joshua, there's a lot of context behind it. And uh, the story behind it, these folks have been in the wilderness for 40 years. And they came out of a country, Egypt, where they were oppressed as slaves, but they came out in a miraculous way. The distinction is that this crew of people, they aren't the ones that experienced any of that. All that happened to their parents. And now they're in the wilderness where they've been for a very long time with a promise that God's going to do something, but that promise has been a long way coming. And so we get into this space where we are in Joshua, and what we discover is that these people in Joshua that he is writing to, they are desert wanderers. They pack up camp and set up camp. Uh, They don't have a home to call their own. Ultimately, they're a lost generation. They're a generation that doesn't have any roots in anything. They're kind of floating around because they didn't experience Egypt. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that was brand new and miraculous to their parents, that's just normal life for them. They've seen that since the day that they were born. Manna that was given every morning to feed them wasn't new. It wasn't spectacular. It was just the same meal again for breakfast. The miracle of quail, meat that they had begged for, that wasn't new to them. Every day, mom, quail again? (laughs) Their clothes didn't wear out. Their sandals didn't wear out, which was a promise God gave to them. But for them, that was just every day. I guess clothes just don't wear out. They didn't know any different, because they were just simply existing. They're merely existing as desert wanderers, just roaming around, waiting someday, maybe, for this promise to happen. 
Because that miracle of the Red Sea, that, that was their parents. That happened for their parents. The miracle, the building of the tabernacle where God said, I'm going to come and be in your presence, that happened with their parents. Mount Sinai with Moses getting the Ten Commandments, his face coming down glowing. Again, that happened to their parents. None of this did they get to experience. They were wandering in the desert because their parents made decisions that kept them out of the promised land. They were living out somebody else's consequences. The promised land felt more like a broken promise. And I think they would wonder, when is this ever going to happen? And what we find in Joshua 1, verse 10 through 11, is the moment. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves. For within three days, you'll be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. So this, it's happening. God is about to move. Finally. This promise is going to come true. But the question is, are they ready? Are they ready for this promise to even happen? And we read what what we just read in our anchor verse in Joshua 3. Joshua started early the next morning, left the acacia grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, carried by the Levitical priests, you're to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so you can see the way to go. For you haven't traveled this way before. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. I can imagine them all looking around at each other going, wait, tomorrow? Tomorrow's the day? Like after all of this time, now it's tomorrow. And now we have to go into this place we don't even know. I'm pretty comfortable with the life that I knew. The setting up, the tearing down, the moving around. You know, they'd go for somewhere until the sheep ate all the resources, then get up and go somewhere else. Why are we going in this land? Wasn't that a promise for my parents? That's not for me. Haven't we gotten past all this by now? And what in the world am I supposed to do to consecrate myself to be ready for this? I think we can find ourselves in similar situations. Been doing life, but mostly just existing. Maybe we've been misliving, doing it wrong, or believe that those promises are broken. We don't even see the miracles happening around us anymore. forced to live with the consequences of someone else's choices. But you've been coming to church and people are telling you God has a plan for your life. And you're like, but I don't see it. I don't see it. Isn't that for somebody else? But can I make you this guarantee? Today, God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. I can promise you. It's a guarantee that I believe with all my heart. You can camp on it. You can anchor to it. God has a plan for you. No matter what has happened, no matter your situation, God has a plan for you. And today I want to talk about a little way of how we can maybe see that lived out, how we can see how God has a plan for us 
uh, in our lives. And I think it comes in this verse from Joshua 3, 5. Consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. So you have this word consecrate. It's like an old sounding word. I get it. But it's, um, it's a beautiful word because what it means is to declare or make something sacred, special, holy, sanctified, or set apart, particularly for the service of God. Something sacred, special, holy, sanctified, set apart. All these words are synonyms. They're all very, very similar in meaning. So we just sang a whole song about how we're surrounded by holy because God is present. And this, this holiness of God is enveloping us and around us. And, and do we even understand what holy is? What, what does that mean? I, and I, I hope to play that out for you a little bit today and show you a bigger uh, picture of what that is. In 1 Corinthians 1, 2, we read this. To the church of God at Corinth... If you've been around here for any length of time, we've talked about the Corinthians and we'll talk about them more as the year goes on, particularly in the fall. The Corinthians were, uh, that was a church that was a mess. They were like a hot mess. Um, They had all kinds of crazy stuff going on in there. You know, they'd come in, they'd get drunk on the communion wine. One guy was sleeping with his mother-in-law. There was all kinds of infighting. There was all kinds of squabbles. It was It was chaos. They were attempting to follow Jesus in a culture that did not want to follow Jesus. And they were trying to figure that out. And while they were doing it, it was a mess. You guys, we're in a super similar situation. We're trying to do that. I hope nobody's sleeping with your mother-in-law, though. (laughs) Can we just keep that one out of the thing? But we're trying to learn how to live for Jesus in a place that is not about that. And it, with it comes all kinds of struggles as we're trying to figure out what it looks like and half the time we feel like a hot mess, right? But listen to these words. To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, consecrated, holy, set apart, called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's us. Both their Lord and ours. Sanctified, consecrated, chosen. We know what the church of Corinth is like, and that gives me hope for us here in this place. Because I became a Christian at like the age of 16-ish. I always try, I I have a moment, but I don't know how old I was. I should probably figure that out. Let's call it 16, because that's what I feel like. It was right. At 16, um, I said yes to Jesus and uh, thought that then things would steadily improve in life. Um, I didn't believe that everything would get better right all at once, but I did think that things would probably at least steadily improve. There is this promise of of a holiness thing somewhere down the line, and so I thought, well, if I'm just patient and I wait, God's going to do all of this in me and for me and around me. And what I found out is it just wasn't true because I would fall into these repeated patterns of things I would fall back in the way that, that I lived, the way that I thought. Because I would ask God, when are my thoughts actually going to be holy? 
Is there a moment when my thoughts will be holy? Is there a moment where the way that I look at my stuff is going to be holy? Is there a way that when I treat my friends that it's going to be holy? Is there a way even later in life when I got married, is there a day when my marriage is going to arrive and be holy? Like, how does that happen? Where does that work? Because we're pretty imperfect. When will my prayer life be holy? When will my sex life be holy? When will my work be holy? When, when is this ever going to happen? I've been waiting a long time, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Because I thought I just had to say yes, do a few things right, and everything would be good. But, but I read my Bible, and God didn't show up. But I prayed a prayer for a specific thing that didn't happen. I asked for a relationship, but I still felt alone and disconnected. But the Bible is clear that you and I play a big role in what God declares holy. Consecrate yourselves. Because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Because one of the things we've done in the church is to take away our role in making things holy, making something sacred, something set apart. And we have access to God right now in this very moment and in every moment. However, there's something special about going, God, in this moment, I want heaven to touch earth in this space and place and time. What can I do to do that? Because if we want something in our life to be holy, we have to do the hard work of consecration. Because consecrate is a verb. It's something you actually have to do. It's not magic, it's not superstition. It's not a recipe, something, it's action, what we do. For the people of Israel in the passage that we just read, when Joshua says, consecrate yourselves, their consecration was pretty simple. They had to take a bath and put on clean clothes. That's it. You and I should be doing that on the regular, right? Like, that's a pretty normal occurrence unless you have a toddler. Then, you know, you got to battle through the bath and the fresh clothes. But... On the norm, a bath and fresh clothes is not a lot to ask to be consecrated. But this is a million people trying to get clean and put on fresh clothes in the desert. Okay, have you ever tried to get clean in the desert? Anybody live in Phoenix? Like everything's got dirt and everything in the desert. They're trying to get clean, fresh clothes. This is an endeavor. This takes a coordinated effort This takes a lot of energy and time and a plan and all of this. So today what I want to talk to you about is um, how we are to participate in consecration and making things holy so that heaven and earth can meet, so that we can experience God in the mundane and in the extraordinary. And I think that's all done through consecration. So are you with me? We're going to go quick through these three points real fast. Three things are important to understand about consecration. Number one, consecration requires intentionality, and you can put preparation on that too. Consecration requires intentionality and preparation. Number two is consecration requires time. Number three, consecration requires a heart that wants God to show up. You got to want God to show up. So I want to show you how this plays out in four different areas in Scripture that, uh, that... that God asks us to consecrate. And so, um, if you're ready with me, will you shout number one? Number 
Number one. All right. The first one is places are consecrated. Places are consecrated. There's a number of places in the Bible that are set apart as holy ground, as special and unique where God shows up. The first one we read about is the garden where God is present. But next we have Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses receives the Ten Commandments because he is interacting with God in this special, unique place. And what we read in Exodus 19.23 is that Moses responded to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai since you warned us. Put a boundary around the mountain and consecrate it. They consecrated an entire mountain. They said, this mountain is special, unique, holy. We set it apart. You can't just meander up the trail to see because we want God to show up. And God showed up. The second place, as Pastor Kaisa mentioned earlier, is the tabernacle. We read about the tabernacle in Exodus 40, verse 9. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it along with all its furnishings so that it will be holy. The tabernacle is this building. Well, it wasn't. It was like a big tent. It was poles and fabric because this was a nomadic people that moved from place to place. So they'd set it up and tear it down and roll it up and somebody would have to carry it or drag it or however they transported it. But it was in the center of the camp. And the camp camped around it because God was showing that his presence was with the people and that this place was holy. So Moses was told when they first instigated it that he was to anoint all of it and declare it holy so that God would show up. And God showed up. We read a few verses later in verses 34 and 35. The cloud, this is the pillar of cloud that they've been following, covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You guys ever walked through fog before? Like we can walk through fog, right? I used to live in coastal California, fog all the time. Trust me, you can permeate it. It's not too hard to go through fog. If you've been on an airplane, you fly through the clouds. It's not that. But God's presence is different. There's a thickness, a heaviness, and a weight to it that Moses could not even enter. So we, we imagine this sort of like wispy experience, but there was power and weight and gravity to it. Something heavy. Spaces are consecrated so that God will show up. Because this is what we know, that God is holy. Right. He declares it himself. Isaiah 43, I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Wow. And God does not compromise his holiness. Good. He doesn't just say, oh, well, for this moment, I won't be holy. <laughs> that is his very nature. He does not compromise his holiness. Good. So these holy spaces, places, moments are set up so that God can join in, the, in that. Like I said, we have access to God. We're able to talk to God through any, any moment, time, place, space. Right. But there's something unique and special when we say, God, in this moment, in this time, in this space, I really need you to show up. And I'm going to show up for you. Would you show up for me? It's like in this auditorium, in A2 across the way, our hub, even this new building that we've purchased. It's, they're just big boxes with chairs, right. right? 
This is just a room with a bunch of chairs. You could probably get one of these chairs off Amazon if you wanted. There's literally nothing special about anything that's in here. They're just, they're decently comfortable chairs. You know, it's a really big screen. But like there's nothing uniquely special about any of it. You could be at um, a work conference and in a room just like this and it would not um, materially be any different. But we consecrate this space. We say we're going to be intentional about what we do and don't do in this space. This is a space where we take time to prepare. We take time to uh, consecrate and say, God, we want you to show up. So we hope that when you come through these doors, you feel the weight of God's glory in here. Because we said, God, we want heaven to touch earth in this space. We want, we want you to be able to meet with the creator of the universe. So there's very intentional things from the chairs, like I said, setting them up, from worship that is practiced, rehearsed, um, and brought to you let the leaders that lead you through worship from prayer to preparing a sermon, all of that stuff. I, I went through this morning and I, I prayed over every chair in both auditoriums because I'm like, I gotta model this. If I say like, this is how we prepare because we want this to be consecrated to God, then I gotta do something about that. So I did. So the chair that you're sitting in today I prayed over that God would meet you in that space today because we can consecrate spaces and we're supposed to consecrate spaces. I, um, I live in West Jordan and so I drive east every morning and when I hit it right and the sun's rising like it was this morning and it's coming over the peaks of the mountains right when the two tones of blue are together with a gold line in between from the peaks, I'm just like, boom, that is it. And I've lived here for 13 years and it does not get old. And um, I love it. And it is the most beautiful thing. But that is not me meeting with God. That's me seeing God's handiwork and what he does. So like, I know I've met people who are like, well, I go out in nature to meet with God. Well, you can, but if you're expecting him just to show up because you're on a hike, maybe, maybe, But if you're saying, God, I'm taking a holy moment and I'm carving out this time and intentionality and I want you to show up, God will show up. Some of you in here have carved out spaces in your home. I know you have a prayer closet or a special chair that you sit in or anything where you're like, this is my space where I meet with God. Like, I know God will show up here because I've been intentional. I've taken the time and I want him to. Because any space can be a consecrated place when we approach it with intentionality, time, and a heart that wants God to show up. Because God shows up where he's wanted. Did you hear that? God shows up where he's wanted. If you want him there, he will show up there. All right, number two. With me? Number two. Thank you. Things are consecrated. I know things sounds generic, but it's from the Bible, so I used it. <laughs> In 2 Chronicles 5.1, So all the work Solomon did for the Lord's temple was completed. Then Solomon brought the consecrated things of his father David, the silver, the gold, all the utensils, and put them in the treasuries of God's temple. 
They're consecrated things, items, candlesticks, like little candle snifters, oil containers, these things that were special for the worship of God. Special things, consecrated things, things that have been set apart. So when I was a kid, um, my toy of choice was Hot Wheel cars. Any of you guys ever play with Hot Wheel cars? Anybody here, Hot Wheels? If you're a Matchbox person, don't raise your hand. They're not the same thing. Hot Wheels cars. Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels cars. So this was, this was my thing, and, and it, was, it was because, um, because we didn't make a lot of money when I was as a kid. We were very blue-collar, and um, uh, so whatever I could buy with my allowance, that was pretty much my thing. And so Hot Wheels cars were 95 cents and seven cents tax, so I could get a dollar and dig up two pennies somewhere, and I could buy myself a Hot Wheels car. That was like my thing, and I would get them when my mom would drive to Kmart. You guys know Kmart? Anybody? Okay. There's still an old, like, empty one near my house um, that's been empty since I moved there. Um, But Kmart, right? So Kmart's like your budget place, but I would go and buy my Hot Wheels car for a dollar and two cents, but they were special to me, and so I would take care of them. Um, I would put them in, I had cases of them. They're four by five, would hold 20 cars to a tray, four trays in a case. And uh, that, was my, that was my get, like my thing. They were, they were mine. When my, um, when my boys uh, were young, I did not let them play with my Hot Wheels. <laughs> they got Hot Wheels from a friend of ours who gave them Hot Wheels in a bucket. Hot Wheels in a bucket is a travesty, Okay. <laughs> They're all scratching up. They're rubbing against each other. The paint's flaking off. What are you doing? These are special. They're unique. I still have mine. I'm not embarrassed to say it. I still have a whole bunch of Hot Wheels at home in their trays where they're supposed to be. And it, it wasn't... <laughs> not in a bucket. Um, but here's the deal. Like, I did, they were special to me. And so I took care of them. But I didn't... What I wanted to say to you is that just taking care of something and stewarding it is not the same as consecration. So I think sometimes we think like, oh, it's special to me, so I'll take care of it. But that's not consecration. Do we have any sneaker heads in here? You guys know how to take care of shoes, right? You get a crease in those shoes and they're pretty much in the trash now, right? Is that how it goes? I was, um, uh, when I was in junior high is when the Jordan 3 came out. That was my dream shoe. But like I said, uh, we shopped at Kmart. So I got the shoes that were all tied together and mom would be like, hey, walk in them. I'm like, okay, I'll try to walk in them. (laughs) Jordan 3s were not in my budget. But we know how to take care of things. We know that they take work and protection, but that is not consecration. What does it mean to consecrate a thing? Well, think about something that has value and importance to you. It could be anything. It could be your car or your phone or some heirloom that's really near and dear to you. Let me ask you this. What is your response when God says, give it away? Because you can take care of something, but when God says, I want you to use it in a different way, how do you respond to that? Yeah, oh, man, my chest gets tight, yeah. right? You feel all of that. Well, ownership. You feel all of that possession of whatever that thing is. But when we consecrate something, 
It's for God's use. So we're in our legacy series. Well, you know, money is a very uh, obvious thing of what we're talking about. God, you want to use our money in a certain way. How do you want to use it? What do you want me to do with it? But there's less obvious things too. Maybe God wants you to open up your home to more people just to come in. You're like, no, that's my safe space. And it's a mess. Why would I open it up to people? That's okay. It can be a mess. But we open our home. Maybe God's wanting to use something of yours um, in a way that you are resistant from. If I can give you maybe a little example of this. Because sometimes it doesn't, doesn't just have to do with our possessions. Sometimes it has to do with the things that we've carried on in our life that God just wants to show up. So I, um, I really had a porn problem back in my 20s and 30s. And, um, you know, we use words like struggle and stuff. I did not struggle. I was just in it. There was no struggle anymore, right? <laughs> and um, so I, we hide behind those words, though, that we have a struggle. But there was no struggle. I just wanted to do it, and I did it. And so um, in that time, I was constantly convicted by it. Um, I felt a lot of shame over it, Um, a lot of disappointment that I had heavily disappointed God because at the same time, I was a youth pastor trying to point high school students to the God of the universe, to try to point to them to a God who loved them unconditionally. And yet I was wrestling with all of that inside of myself not understanding what, what do I do with this that I'm carrying? How do I deal with all of this? This was a thing that I held on to. I was, I lack the courage of telling anybody else because the consequences scared me. I could lose my job, lose my reputation, have my character questioned, let alone that my character was the one of hiding in shame in that moment, living this double space. So what did it take? What did it take? Because I can, I can sit here right now and say, it's not that I'm not tempted anymore, but it is not an appeal to me at all. Yeah. It does not appeal to me at all. So that's just by the, that's by the grace of God, friends. That is by the grace of God. And what it took me was at this moment, there was a moment where I just said, Jesus, I want to love you more than I want this. I want to love you more than I want this. And it's not that I do love you more than I want this. I just want to love you more. We just got it. Sometimes we just got to want to want to love, right? Like we just got to take a little step here and there. But I, Jesus, I just, I want to love you more than I want this. And so this thing that I thought I had to hold on to and possess and, and control and all that, I didn't need to. I could give it away to him. So we have these things in our life, addictions, sin, um, greed, pride, all that stuff that we hold on to so tightly, this thing that we need to consecrate. And on the other side, we might have like an actual physical material thing that, that God is saying, I want you to consecrate this to me. And so I, I love it. God just wants it. God wants it all. He wants us to give it to him. We don't have to white knuckle it through. We don't have to try to figure it all out. He's just saying, just want to want to give it to me. And I can, I can do it with you. 
I know some of us were like, I'm not really into material things. I like in my experiences. Like, I like my, I want my next vacation. I'm looking for the next uh, concert that I can go to, the next Friday night that I can go head out with the girls. Any of that, we're, we're trying to fill stuff with experience, or our life with experiences rather than even things. And what I'd ask you is there, is there a chance that those experiences, that you need to consecrate those too? That you need to say, God, would you take this desire for me to always be doing the next thing? And is there something in that that I can consecrate to you? So maybe uh, instead of fulfilling your wanderlust, you use a little bit of PTO and you say, I'm going to do a marriage conference because I want to consecrate some of my vacation time to do soul work so that my spouse and I can get together, can be better together. Or a men's conference, a women's conference. Maybe that next concert, you approach it with a different space and place and say, God, would you consecrate this? And maybe you find a worship moment in that time. Maybe that next, that restaurant that you've been wanting to try out, instead of it just being like this great meal that you actually get to share it with someone, and that's a divine appointment where God meets you there. How do you know it's consecrated? You know something's consecrated when God says to use it differently and you're good with it. You know that you've given it to him. When he says, I want you to use this in a different way and you're okay about that. All right, number three. three. Thank you. Time. Time is consecrated. In the Bible, there's lots of different times and seasons and holidays and feasts and festivals that they celebrate. I want to address a couple. One is the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is such a great idea. It's too bad they never did it. Um, The Israelites never practiced this year of Jubilee. They were a failure in it. And what it was was they had... um, so we had, they had the Sabbath where the seventh day they would rest. But they also had a Sabbath year where the seventh year they would rest. So they would give the land a break to be able to rejuvenate and, and produce and all of that. And then once they had seven sevens, then there was a 50th year. Seven times seven is 49, if you remember your math, ta- your multiplication tables. And then the 50th year would be a year of Jubilee. All debts are canceled. If you sold your land, you get to move back to it, right? Visa does not like this. And the people didn't like it because they never did it because there was a big cost associated with that time, with that year of Jubilee. But we read in Leviticus 25.10, you did not think you were going to get Leviticus today, did you? (laughs) I love Leviticus. All right, you are to consecrate the 50th year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your Jubilee when each of you is to return to his property and each of you to his clan. As I said, they never did it. And they, were, they had consequences for not doing it. That was one of the reasons they were uh, led into exile later. The other one I want to talk about is Sabbath. Sabbath. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 is where the Sabbath is commanded. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. Nothing. No work. We kind of like the idea of that until it becomes reality. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who's within your city gates, so nobody can work, so there's no loopholes. Everybody gets a rest day. 
For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. The Sabbath is something that God has consecrated. He has made it special. And when we don't, we mess with a rhythm of creation. In Genesis 2, 3, it says this, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. This is not, this is before commanded. This is before a law. This is before a rule. This is built into the fabric of creation. And when we don't practice rest in a Sabbath way, we're messing with the fabric of creation and we wonder why we're struggling emotionally, we're struggling physically, we're um, just exhausted all the time, everything's out of whack because we don't know how to establish a consecration of time and set up a time where we say, God, this is yours and I wanna meet you here. So we try to do this in our family. It's complicated and it's not easy. Um, I work on Sundays. My wife does not. Uh, So for us to try to find a time where we can Sabbath together with her, with our kids' schedules, everything else, it's super difficult. I have to tell you, it's really hard. It's a lot of work. But what I want to tell you is that you can do it when you're intentional about it. And you can do it when you take the time to Sabbath with purpose. So I think there's a huge misnomer that we think it's just a day off. I mean, I think we've all had days off, right? But then your day off gets filled with like 22 errands, and then you go, man, that didn't feel like a day off. That's not a Sabbath, y'all. That's not a Sabbath. A Sabbath is a day. We have a simple rule. Is it rest or is it worship? That's it. Is it rest or is it worship? And that's a really quick answer. If it's not one of those, then we don't do it. Right. And uh, it, but, but it takes a lot of preparation to do that. Right. A lot of time. Have you ever gone on vacation before? Yeah. Y'all gone on vacation. Yeah. You know that week leading up to vacation? <laughs> you know what that week's like? Where you're like, maybe I won't go on vacation because this is a bunch of work to be ready to go on vacation. Yeah. That's what Sabbath is like. That's what Sabbath is like. We have to prepare. And we have to be diligent to do it to be able to have an actual day of rest. So on that Wednesday night when you want to sit down, turn on Hulu, watch an episode of The Bear or two or three, and like just go, oh, that was a day. That hour and a half that you've lost, that's preparation time for your real rest that you've missed out on because you've given up, you've given it a cheap way um, on that Wednesday night. This isn't to guilt you. I'm just, I want you to count the cost of what it takes. You want a real rest? It takes real work. We have to do the work of consecration. So you have a heart that wants God to show up through it? Great. It takes time, preparation. Is it rest? Is it worship? And maybe you just need to give a small chunk of time to God in the morning, in the evening. God, I'm going to give you these times. Do it. Make it a priority. Prepare it. Give that time. Be intentional. Ask God to show up. All right, finally, number four. Four. Thank you. People are consecrated. People are consecrated. Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession 
out of all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. The Israelites were chosen as a special people. But in order to have a relationship with God, they needed a priest. They needed a priest. Their high priest was Aaron. Um, I have been reading through Exodus at this time too. If you're reading through the Bible in a year, it's just Exodus time right now. And in Exodus, what you're given is a lot of prescriptions for what Aaron was supposed to do and how he was supposed to be dressed. He had like this one piece uh, tunic that he would wear. He had a fancy like breastplate with jewels on it. He wore this cool turban. He had to like um, do certain washings. He had actual sacrifices that were made just for him to be the priest. Um, he had blood put on his earlobes and his big toe, all kinds of stuff that we don't have to do. But he had a very particular dress, particular items, particular sacrifices that were made for him. And he wasn't just doing cosplay. It was for a real reason to be able to offer the sacrifice to atone for the people of Israel. But in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, we're told, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's changed. He's not just talking about the people of Israel. This is open to all of us. We are a chosen race, holy nation, people for his possession. But did you catch? We are a royal priesthood. We're a royal priest. We don't need a man to go and make sacrifices anymore because the sacrifice has been made for us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the person of Jesus who lived a sinless, holy life, died on the cross to atone for our sins rather than animal sacrifice. He was the lamb that was slain. And to show his power over death rose from the grave. So now we, us collectively, get to be a royal priesthood. But as priests, we get to point people to God. That's part of the role. But we have royalty in our blood because we're children of the king. And so there's this beautiful thing that's happening. God's plan is for us to be consecrated. He wants you and me to be consecrated as a family, as the well, but also you individually to be chosen, to be priests like Aaron, to know you have royalty in your relationship to the king, to be set apart because you're his. We're like, ah, I'm not like Aaron. who That's a priest, right? You get all the fancy garb and all that stuff. Do you know Aaron was a hot mess? Aaron was a hot mess. Moses' brother, He led the entire nation in idolatry while Moses was on the mountain. The entire nation. So if you look at me and you say, Howie, you don't know what I've done. Have you led a million people in idolatry? No, no, I'm not comparing here. Just asking a question. But God still chose Aaron and said, Aaron, I want this relationship with you and I want you to do this for me and to connect people with me and to do the work of me despite what you've already done, despite your betrayal, despite you turning your back on me. 
I think it's so important for us to see, a lot of times we read the Bible and we think all these heroes are here in the Bible. These are not heroes. They're massive failures that God used. So like, I feel pretty good about that when I'm like, I'm, I can, I'm a massive failure that God can use too. Yeah. And so for you in this room, if you feel like a massive failure, God can use you too. Yeah. Even if you feel like just a teeny bit of a failure, God can use you. You have better self-esteem than me. <laughs> God can use us, but he wants us to be consecrated, set apart, saying, God, God, use me. Use me. So I want to give you just some pieces of things today, some areas to think about. Because if we want something in our life to be holy, we have to do the hard work of consecration. Because it doesn't just happen. You don't fall into holiness. It doesn't happen on accident. There's not just a big pit that you can jump in and climb out the other side. Hey, holy, here we go. We got a job to do. We have to be consecrating. You want God to show up? Start consecrating. The goal isn't to compartmentalize our life. I, I hope you hear that from me. It's not set this part aside so that it can be holy, but all this, I'm still going to do what I want. What we're trying to do is give you bite-sized pieces. So you're like, I just want to be closer to God. Give him a bite-sized piece, and he'll draw close to you. And then you give him another bite and another. So I want you to do something today. Um, if you're a note taker, great. Pen and paper is awesome. If not, pull out your phone, pull up your notes thing. I want you to write something down for me today. I'll give you a little application here. I'd love for you to take away today. So I'm going to ask you a question. The first thing that pops in your head, I want you to write that down or thumb type it out or whatever, however you want to remember it. But, and then I want you to tell somebody. What is the thing you need to consecrate today? What is God asking you? What is that thing you need to say, God, I'm giving this to you. Use it however you want. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Write it down. What is that space that God wants you to consecrate today? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Just write it down. It might be in here. It might be, God, when I come to church, I'm just gonna be like, I'm gonna be prepared and give you all of this time in this moment because I want to meet you here. So I'm going to remove distractions. I'm going to put stuff away. I don't know what it might be for you, but what is the space that you need to consecrate? Maybe it's your bus ride to school or to work. Next, what's the time you need to consecrate? Do you need a morning moment with God? You say, I'm just going to do this. Or an evening moment with God, I'm going to do this. Maybe it's a Sabbath and you figure out how to make that happen in your life. Don't sleep on that. It is like, well, you can sleep on the Sabbath. That's great rest. What I'm saying is don't overlook it. It is absolutely life-giving. You want to have resilience for everything that comes your way? God's built the Sabbath in for a reason. It brings resilience. Brings resilience. Then finally, do you need to be consecrated today? Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and you're like, okay, today's the day. I, I hear it. I hear it. I hear that you've pursued me. I hear that I need to like actually do something and that something is saying yes. Something saying yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never done that before. And so I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. 
And so we're going to say a prayer together. Everybody in the room can say it together. Um, we're going to have, during this time, some of our team will get up and go to get the lobby and stuff ready. But if you could just hang tight until we um, can go through this moment and have instructions uh, from, our, um, from our other pastors at the end on what, what they can do, uh, we'd really appreciate that. So if you, could, if you could just bow your head and close your eyes. If you could, everybody in the room, just pray this prayer uh, with me. Jesus, I want to be consecrated. I want to be set apart for you. I know that you are God. I know that you sacrificed your life for me. I give you my past. Would you consecrate it? I give you my present. Would you make it holy? And I give my, you my future. Would you set it apart? I want to follow you all the days of my life. 